There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey guys, this is Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and we're here today for our final episode of Wired to Hunt's Rut Radio here in 2016, where we have been checking in every week for the past six or seven weeks now with hunters from all across the country to hear about rutting activity and reports, what's been happening, what's been working, and all that kind of good stuff. So, Spencer, you've been kind of leading the charge for us on this one, and I first and foremost want to Thank you for doing such an awesome job with us and checking with people all over the place and getting this kind of intel. I know for me personally and from a lot of other people out there listening, this has been really helpful. So, uh, so way to go, man. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a chore. I mean, this is a ton of fun to talk to these people and every week, yeah. you know, get to feel like, you know, I'm sitting in their tree stand sometimes when I get to hear about the, the encounters that they're having and stuff like that. And, you know, take that as another piece of the puzzle as to how I should be hunting in, in my home state of South Dakota. Yeah, yeah. So so you've talked to, I don't know, dozens of different hunters now over the course of this kind of mini-series, and you've been getting all that writing intel and stuff. Do you think that you, were you able to apply anything you heard from these other guys to your own hunts? You know, did you have any example where such and such was like, hey, you know, I really think it's starting to pick up or X was working and you thought about that in your own hunts. Were you able to do anything like that? Because I know for me personally, I started picking up on some of the things I was hearing from guys and applying it to some shifts in my strategy. Yeah, I think one thing in particular was I've always kind of felt like, uh, you know, the rut seems like it has these hard boundaries of when it starts, when it ends, when this phase is going, stuff like that. But this kind of made me learn that it's, so so fluid um not just across the nation but even incredibly local um for me talking to these people that hunt north dakota minnesota iowa nebraska stuff like that um i would agree with them one week and then disagree the next week um but then you know it could be on both fronts where i would feel the movement was much better but they would feel it was a lot worse um stuff like that it it made me realize uh that you just have to be out there i guess that there's no one amazing three-day stretch all the time where you're going to be out there and you're going to kill a deer yeah that that for me like every year i'm reminded of it but then the next year i go back into the season forgetting it it's that the rut it just it never seems to be as advertised like it's never going to be two in two or three weeks of just non-stop action and incredible hunting it's these you know long periods of 
you know, just nothing, and then little bursts of that kind of activity. If you happen to be in the right place at the right time with the right deer, then you get that magic. But, you know, it's it's really hard to guess when that's going to be. It's hard to be in the right place when it happens. So it really is, for me, the rut is just, it's about perseverance. It's like, can you stick to it long enough for those special moments? Because um, they'll happen eventually if you're out there. But uh, it's not always going to be like a TV show and it happens right away. Um, but I don't know, given the fact that you've been doing this now and talking to so many people, you've kind of had an interesting high level overview. Have you, have you seen any big, I don't know, have you taken away any big aha moments or lessons learned from this experience hearing from so many hunters over the course of this 2016 run? Well, from the podcast in particular, you know, I just talked about how I would find myself like disagreeing with the neighboring states. But at the same time, I realized that this rut is really universal. Um, like, some weeks I would have more in common with the people from New York or Oklahoma uh, than I would with, like, the Iowa or Minnesota or something like that. And it, it made me realize how close all this is happening. You know, I could be a thousand miles from one of these guys, but the peak breeding or the seeking and chasing phase for both of us might only be a couple days apart. And so... It's really made me open up my ears, I guess, to to guys that I always felt like I had less in common with, but I really do. Um, so that's been one great thing. It, it almost feels like every one of these reports is relevant, even if I'm not near where they're hunting. I think there's a lot of truth to that because I think one of the major, I mean, the major factor that, that determines at least when deer go into estrus, when a doe comes into estrus, is just daylight is the changing amount of daylight and that is universal you know that's not something that's different between new york and north in north dakota that's happening at relatively the same time and anywhere in that part of the country now there are some differences north to south but um but that's something that i think lots of times we assume the rut is so regional when in many cases it's it's a little bit closer than maybe we we think and i think to your point when we're hearing these types of updates i think it kind of shines a light on that so that's a really interesting observation. You were mentioning a couple other things, though, too, right, in regards to when you thought the peak was and different things along those lines? wasn't necessarily podcast-related, but just some observations that I had myself. Um, one of them was that I feel like this was, like, the foggiest rut that I've ever been around. Um, and we had kind of talked about this the whole year or the, the whole, you know, last month or so about in the podcast about how mild the weather has been. I think that mild weather has just, like, fallen in that absolute perfect zone for foggy mornings and so like I I hunt river bottoms a lot which it's you know more likely to be foggy there than anywhere else and there would be mornings where my end of October and beginning of November sits like for a week straight where I would hunt my first hour with you know less than like 100 feet of visibility or less than 50 feet of visibility at some points and that has to really make you like scratch your head during that time and go man you know what is going on that I'm not seeing and at the same time, what is this doing for the what is this doing for the deer movement? Like, if a, a buck is out there looking for does, he has to be moving almost extra, you would think. Or is it the opposite? You know, is he moving less, knowing that it's so foggy right now that mm-hmm. visually he can't, you know, lay his eyes on anything? It, I don't know. Did you notice like an excess of foggy mornings this year or not? I definitely did, and I wonder. I had the same exact questions you had. You know, there were some of those hunts in early November for me. Where, like, for example, there was one two-day stretch in particular that I can think of right now where I hunted the same stand two mornings in a row. The first morning, you know, it was like November, I don't remember, it was like 6th or 5th or 7th, somewhere around there. 
And that first morning, it was clear, crisp, cool, and the deer were just everywhere. It was just chaos, all sorts of movement. I was back in there the very next day, same type of temperature, same type of everything, except for really thick fog. And it was just dead. And I had gone in that morning thinking it was going to be a great morning, and I saw hardly anything. And it wasn't one of those things where, you know, I just wasn't seeing deer because I couldn't see a long ways. The day before, all the activity I was seeing, or at least like 90% of the activity I was seeing, was within like 40 yards of me. Like there was deer all over and right within range. And now the next day, same situation, but with fog, nothing close at all. So I was sitting there thinking the exact same thing. You were. It's like, is the fog just keeping them from moving? Or what what's happening here? I don't know, but it, it raised questions, and that's one of those things about the rut is, and really deer hunting in general is it's so fascinating to try to understand how these different factors influence deer movement and behavior, and we can kind of guess and you know put together these different hypotheses, but we never really know, um, and that's I guess what keeps me going out there lots of times just trying to answer those questions that that are tough to answer sometimes. Yeah, I think the lesson there is somebody needs to carve out the niche of fogginess and deer <laughs> movement on a scale somewhere. So we need that intel, that's for sure. Speaking right. of uh, speaking of scales, you you've become very good at asking the question of so and so. How has the deer activity been on a scale of one to ten? I want to turn that back on you, Spencer. For the 2016 rut, like your whole November, late October period here, how would you rate the 2016 rut for you personally? Uh, personally, and this is like very personal, I'm just referring to myself, not even just South Dakota's movement in general. Um, I would say it was like a seven. Um, I, I saw like the good movement you'd expect at the end of October, but then my beginning of November was pretty disappointing. Um, but then what ended up happening was I was able to get a rifle in my hands. Uh, some of these seasons opened up for me that, you know, kind of crossed over with the rut a little bit. And so then the hunting obviously got a, a lot better for me, um, had I had a bow in my hands, though, it probably would have been worse, and I'd be telling you it was like a, a five or a six. <laughs> um, but I, I got lucky there. That was my saving grace this year was being able to pick up a rifle a couple times and, and get out with that rather than you know, sitting in a tree. Yeah, that that helps. It definitely helps the odds, that's for sure. I, for me, if I were to try to give you my personal ranking, I would probably give it a maybe a seven as well, like a six and a half to a seven. Um, because I saw really good early action. Like my best writing action was from like that last week of October through the first week of November. That two week period for me, I was like in it consistently, lots of activity, lots of chasing and and seeking and all that kind of stuff, bucks fighting. Um, but then from probably like the eighth through like the 15th or 16th or 17th, eh, 15th or 16th, it was really low as far as trail camera pictures and actual in-person sightings. Um, I mean, my time in Ohio was really pretty dead. The camera pictures here and there and in Michigan were pretty dead. Um, but what's interesting is then when I came back from Ohio, very soon after that, probably around the 16th or 17th of the month, all of a sudden the camera is like a, a flip switch. And I started getting more daylight and more pictures of mature bucks down there than I had all season. You know, before I'd been hunting down there, while I'd hunted down there, after, this is by far the best. Um, so it seemed like, for whatever it was, you know, that was when things were picking up down there. While for me in Michigan, it was earlier. Uh, I don't really know what to make of that, but um, but it was interesting to see. 
So speaking of the best, you know, couple days stretch of hunting in, in South Dakota here, I thought it took place around like November 15th. And this is a really strange thing to base this off of, but I'll, I'll tell a story. So I was hunting like this same area uh, for like four straight days in Western South Dakota. And from where I was staying to where I was hunting, it was about a half hour drive every day. Uh, on the third day, I saw the rendering truck out on this stretch of interstate picking up dead deer. Um, and it was about a five to 10 mile stretch where there had been a lot of deer hit in that area. So the rendering truck had cleaned it up on like the 14th, you know, the interstate no longer had any carcasses. The 15th, I was driving that stretch of interstate again. And I saw like three bucks over 130 that had been hit overnight. And then I saw another deer that had its head cut off. Uh, that was Jeez. also hit the night. So that was under like a less than a 24 hour period that all that took place. And so, I mean, it was incredible to me, uh, all those deer that got laid out. And, you know, the odds of those things getting hit on the interstate, you know, against how many deer were actually probably moving, that had to, you know, be a significant portion of uh, their their best movement. That had to be when the rut took place there. So I think next year we need to start talking to, like, some rendering truck guys, maybe some houses, <laughs> and, and see when their uh, activity is picking up. Yeah, yeah. They're a friend of mine, um, Craig Doherty always used to tell me that the way he tracked the progress of the rut in his area was he talked to his local UPS guy. Um, I think it was UPS or FedEx or something like that, or post office guy. He would check with this guy, um, and then he would also check with, I think it was a car repair person, um, like a you know like a wrecking shop where they'd bring in accident, uh, cars that had been in accidents from roadkill type situations like that. Um, and those two people would give him the update on how much roadkill there was, and how many different cars had come in because of it. And he, he could actually track. He'd see it consistently certain times of year. You'd see it peak up in towards mid-November and then come back down. And so I think there's some interesting things you can pull from that type of, that type of observational data, I guess. Because, you know, like you said, if there's that much roadkill, you know, that's obviously because there's been so much movement back and forth across the road that's, of course, going to result in a few kills along the way. That seemed as relevant as anything that my trail cameras were telling me or what I was seeing on stand. So November is, is about gone. I think today is uh, I don't know, today's November 29th or November 30th, and so that's basically the end of sweet November. But uh, we do have one final set of reports from across the country, right, Spencer? Yeah, so we start off with Eric Long in Ohio of Drumming Log Wildlife Management. And then we have Clay Forrest with Stewart Ranch Outfitters in Oklahoma. And then we have Mark Kaiser from Deer and Deer Hunting TV in Wyoming. And then we end with Bill Winky in Iowa with Midwest Whitetail. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what they've been seeing and what's happening here in this end of November period. And then uh, I guess until next year, Spencer, good luck uh, with your hunts in these next coming weeks. And, you know, to another rut. And same to you, Mark. December is definitely no November, but at least we get to hunt. That's the truth. Should be fun. But quickly, before we get to our first update, as all Wired to Hunt podcasts are, this episode is brought to you by Sitka Gear. If you'd like to learn more about Sitka Gear's technical hunting apparel, you can visit sitkagear.com. And now, on to the show. All right, and joining us on the line first is Eric Long, the owner of Drumming Log Wildlife Management. Now, Eric, in Ohio, what would you say the buck activity has been there on a scale of 1 to 10 in this last week or so? 
uh, within the last week or so, um, I would say it's probably about a six to seven in some areas, even higher. Um, right now, um, unfortunately, Ohio's gun season, uh, is in full swing as of yesterday. And so it's really just going to disrupt a little bit of things, you know, the, the activity, uh, in a sense of that. So, but yeah, I'd say within the last week, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It's still pretty good. So what phase of the rut would you then say that we're in, in Ohio? Um, without a doubt, I would say we're on a, uh, for sure on a downside of it. Um, you know, like a week and a half, two weeks ago, it was just absolutely insane. I mean, it was some wonderful, wonderful activity. Best I've seen in years. Um, but as a week went on, it was definitely dropping. Those older class whitetails, you know, they came off those does and they were really on their feet. And, um, you know, those two-year-olds were just acting like bowling balls out in the food plot, just blowing everything up, you know. Um, but right now... Um, you know, it's like I was hunting uh, this past weekend, and I had older class whitetails, three or four-year-olds in a food plot just concentrating on feeding and not ru- any running activity, but they were still on their feet in plenty of daylight. And those younger bucks, those year-and-a-half and two-year-olds, were just constantly hounding on those year-and-a-half-year-old does, those doe fawns that m- met that, you know, weight requirement, 60-plus pounds that, that c- can come into estrus. So they were definitely hounding them but what was very odd that those older class deer weren't really messing with those just as younger bucks were which is typical just a bunch of teenagers trying to get a date for the dance you know so, right right so yeah what about with betting this time of year um say you haven't been out in a couple weeks and you're just getting back in this uh-huh. now do you think the betting has changed a lot from like mid uh, mid-november till now yeah i mean as a season in the state of ohio you know it's just it's a it gets pretty pressured anymore. Um, so especially, you know, this week of gun and, um, yeah, it's, but if you have a place that's, you know, kind of remote and, you know, a special place where the pressure or you're in a QDM co-op where the pressure is not very, you know, uh, substantial, definitely the bedding areas definitely change to answer your question, you know, as the foliage comes off and, you know, the quality, Deer, you know, those bucks, you got to think cover that equals food. I, I preach it a lot, you know, and that's where, you know, doing some good quality deer management comes in, producing those great quality bedding areas that have food because those older bucks, you know, especially on a QDM program, you know, they have lost a lot of weight, but they want to feel secure at the same time. And, you know, doing some chainsaw management and stuff like that produces that, you know, you're putting those weight, putting that weight back on those deer, but giving them a secure place. So, you know, uh, hopefully I answered your question, but yeah, you know, do the foliage coming off and, you know, uh, feeling secure. So yeah, you just, you know, I would concentrate myself on, uh, you know, this food right now. Are there any foods in particular uh, that you think are better than others right now? Yeah, you know, your carb, you know, sorghum, corn, obviously, you know, obviously beans can, you know, uh, it's protein, but they can switch, you know, they have a, the ability to get carb out of it. Um, you know, your brassicas, your turnips, you know, your radishes, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, if you, you know, did your, your job um, and if you had the possibility of planting food plots, you know, it, see, that's the thing, and I don't mean to preach a little bit, but doing just planting a food plot's one thing this time, you know, having it available this time of year. But more importantly, because of the pressure, you got to produce habitat, and that cover to equals food. 
um, because those deer, especially in the state of Ohio, no matter where you're at in the state of Ohio, you know, we're, there's a lot of people out there. And those bucks that we're all trying to, trying to kill, you know, they want to feel secure. And if there's quality bedding areas next to those food sources, you know, your chances of uh, at least an opportunity of viewing them, uh, if not killing them, you know, is, is, is a great possibility. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. But what about going forward in this next week or so? What do you think the buck activity is going to be then on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, next week or two, um, I would say it's going to be minimal because of the firearm season that's going on in Ohio. I mean, it's going to be a lot of nocturnal activity. Just be patient. You know, it's it's and I say this jokingly, it's almost take a week off after gun season. And I say that jokingly, obviously, but because those deer, it's going to take them a little bit to get back on their, their, their on their program, on your program, um, because of all the disruption, you know, uh, people doing deer drives or, you know, just the activity that's normally not there. So it's going to take them a while to get feel, feel comfortable again to, you know, utilize those food plots uh, in daylight hours. All right, Eric, so, well, that's some great information, and thanks for joining us. Yes, not a problem. Anytime. You know that. All right, and joining me on the line next is Clay Forrest, the operator of Stewart Ranch Outfitters. Now, Clay, in Oklahoma, what would you say the rut activity has been there on a scale of 1 to 10 in this last week or so? Uh, we are probably right around, uh, I'm going to call it about an 8 right now. Uh, we're we're experiencing a little bit of lockdown um, in the last couple, three or four days. Uh, prior to that, right around Thanksgiving, it was it was really going pretty high here as far as uh, uh, rut activity. So we're, we're kind of on the downhill swing as far as uh, prime rut time here in southern Oklahoma, but I, th- I still think we're about an eight, seven to eight at this point. So do you think it's been better than that this year, or is an eight the highest it's been for you guys? Um, I'm going to say eight's kind of the, the height. Um, I, we've kind of had a weird year as far as just um, – overall rut activity um for the most part it's 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 it's, we've had days where it's been really really uh been a high number you know say a nine or a ten and then the very next day it's it's gone back down so it's kind of been a an up and down year as far as rut i don't think it ever really just plateaued or anything to that nature so um i think i think it hates about as, as good as we got this year how has that then translated to your clients and their hunting for this last week? If it's net at an eight, have you guys gotten a lot of mature bucks on the ground then? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, but we've had to earn them the last uh, last few days, or the, really probably since about Thanksgiving. Uh, we've we've got some good mature uh, mature bucks on the ground, uh, but they've definitely made us earn them as far as we're fortunate enough to be able to glass in our country and, and kind of make moves on deer if we need to if they were to bed down with a doe and, and that sort of thing. So. Um, even though I think it's, uh, we're experiencing a little bit of lockdown and uh, some unseasonally warm, warm temperatures, kind of like we've been battling all year, we've still been able to get uh, mature deer on the ground. What about with those mature deer specifically? Um, what kind of activity have you seen them have over these last few days? Do you think that they're showing any interest in the does? Are they focusing on food? Uh, do you think it's lockdown? What's going on there? Um, Honestly, I'm going to give you a 50-50 answer. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, we just got a mature deer down last night. Uh, he's going to score right at right at 150, five-and-a-half-year-old deer that has been chasing does for the last two or three days. Uh, we've had eyes on him. And that was kind of toward the north end of the ranch. 
Uh, we shot a buck two days ago. Uh, again, another five and a half year old mature buck who really was just coming to food. Uh, he came in off a big uh, grain field or wheat field that we've got and kind of funneled into a draw and, and we got a shot on him, but did not care too much about, uh, about does. So we're, we're experiencing a little bit of both. Um, so it's kind of made hunting a little interesting here the last week and a half, 10 days or so. Well, last time I talked to you in, I think it was the end of October, we had talked about how the unseasonably warm temperatures had really suppressed the deer movement. Do you think that the weather right now um, plays as big a factor as it did two or three weeks ago? Uh, no, sir, I, I don't think so. We're still seeing a lot of movement, and it, it's pretty close to normal um, as far as, as weather. When I talked to you last, we were 15 degrees above normal, where right now it's it's pretty close to, to being right. So uh, seeing a lot of deer funneling into big fields and that sort of thing. So as far as overall activity, I, I think the weather's not really playing just a big part in it. We're supposed to get a big front here in the next couple of days, and I think in the next little bit it should be should be pretty pretty good as far as deer movement. So speaking of those next couple of days, what do you think that buck activity is going to be in this next week or so on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to call it a 10, but I'm going to call it pretty close. We're, we're going to get our first two or three, four day stretch of, uh, of cold weather. Um, we're supposed to have a little precipitation this weekend, which might kind of stun it a little bit, but, um, I think the high for here on Saturday is like 45, which is a little below normal. So, uh, really looking forward from about actually from about Thursday to Monday is looking, looking really well or looking good as far as, uh, uh, deer movement and buck activity so i really think if you're in southern oklahoma in the next week week and a half it ought to be really really good all right clay well i love following the facebook page and i'm excited to keep checking out over this next week or so with the the best movement on its way so thanks for your call yes sir thank you spencer appreciate it all right and joining me on the line next is mark kaiser co-host of deer and deer hunting tv and outdoor writer now, Mark, I just talked to you last week about the rut activity in Nebraska, but lately over Thanksgiving, I know you were back in your home state of Wyoming. How would you say the buck activity has been there on a scale of 1 to 10 in this last week or so? I would say it's still rating at a 6 or a 7 for whitetails. But on the opposite spectrum, the mule deer spectrum, theirs is winding down quicker, and I'm... I'm I wouldn't even rank that as a four, probably, you know, three maybe, but a four, but not a five. The mule deer were already, what we were seeing is they were banding up in bachelor groups already, not not at all mindful, worrying about having two or three bucks together in a group, whereas the whitetails, there was still some chasing going on, and it, it actually impressed me how much activity was out there. So we're encroaching the beginning days of December here. What about a secondary rut in that area? Is that something that you ever witness? I've witnessed it a lot. You know, I grew grew up and uh, spent a lot of time hunting in the Dakotas, uh, living here in Wyoming, hunting extensively in Montana. You do see that. Uh, the problem with so many of these states, and in the two I just mentioned, Montana and Wyoming, is there's no December hunting season. So you've got to move back over to the Dakotas. And the research that I've read and, and talked with biologists and stuff is you're looking at about a 10% uh, group of does that haven't been bred yet. And, and that seems like maybe not a lot, but when you only get to have that little fling once a year, <laughs> a 10% group of does coming back into estrus can, can spike the activity 
albeit even for a brief time period. Yeah, so in these coming days, if you were looking to fill a tag in the Dakotas or, or Wyoming, or what would be your tactics? Would you be focusing on does or looking for food or, or different kind of bedding? You've probably mentioned the three things, and, the, and it comes down to three things all the time. But A, definitely find those doe groups. Find where the bigger uh, numbers of does are congregating. And that's going to lead you to B, which is food. Because these deer are just burnt down to the bone now, the bucks especially. But the does have run a lot, too. Uh, again, stuff I've read, they're, they're burning 20 to 25% of their body weight off during the rut. They've got to gain some of that back. They'll never gain it all back, so they're going to be going to the good food sources. And, again, that's where the does are gathering. And then the third thing to look for is sanctuary and refuge. In many of these states, these deer have been hunted nonstop since September. Think about it if you've been hunted and pursued for that many days on end. You know where all the good hiding spots are, or you're not alive. You've already taken a ride in a Coleman cooler somewhere. So you've got to know where the, the good safety zones are, where the good food is, and if you want to have that last um, little fling on dating.com, you got to know where the does are. Well, Mark, I saw your son just killed a great buck there in Wyoming over Thanksgiving break. Why don't you tell us about that hunt and the, the deer activity you saw on those sits? And I just, I just come back myself, so I hadn't had a lot of time to scout. I scouted one evening the night before Thanksgiving, and he was flying home late that night. And what I saw was some pretty good buck activity that night. It was cool. There was four or five bucks working a group of does, and they were definitely in pursuit. And I, I spotted another buck off in the sagebrush. These are whitetails. That was uh, had a hot doe. He had pushed off out, out and away from all the other deer. So to me, it looked like it was going to be a good hunt. We, we ran right into that exact factor the next morning. Uh, a lot of deer moving. We were hunting some creek bottoms. Uh, the bucks were cruising. The does were still wanting to get, you know, be chased by the bucks. And uh, we even spotted a hot doe that afternoon. And then driving out that day, we spotted a really big buck cruising. Middle of the day, 10, 10 11 in the morning, he walked right across the road in front of us. Uh, we tried to get on him, but we couldn't get on him. And uh, But the problem we ran into, and, and this is the problem... You know, I'm no different than anyone else, right? That was Thanksgiving we hunted. Nobody was out. The next day, everybody had the three-day weekend, and people were everywhere. And I didn't have exclusive rights to this property, so we were sitting there waiting for the bucks to come to us. Well, the other people hunting this property for the next two days wanted to do deer drives, and they just totally pushed everything off the property. So I had to go to Plan B, which was to hunt where we'd seen this bigger buck, and hunt on the fringe areas where deer were going back and forth between property boundaries. And that gets a little sticky because then you got to make sure that your shot is perfect, dead on, because you don't want to deal with angry landowners if a buck, you know, jumps the fence and you got to track him on the other side. And uh, we stuck to our guns there and went after the big ones and uh, spotted a big one. And Cole made a great stalk on a buck that was on a hot doe. Another buck was there and another doe, so he had to crawl in close to these deer without being spotted with all these eyes and uh, he did it he ground crawled right on his belly right slithered right through some prairie grass and and made a great shot at just under 300 yards on a buck that was rutting yet right at the end of november well if you want to see some awesome pictures from that hunt you can check out mark kaiser's facebook page but mark going forward in this next week or so 
What do you think the buck activity is going to be then uh, in that area? In this area and much of the whitetail zone, but specifically this area, it's going to start dropping off fast. And in some places, one of the other spots we looked at, that very day shot that buck, I went to another property and glassed it. It was almost night and day. Those whitetail bucks were kind of laid up, not really wanting to rut. So you're going to see in the next week it's, it's going to start shutting down fast. Now, that doesn't mean you still can't get into some rutting, but what it will mean is the bucks that have done the majority of the rutting, especially the four-and-a-half-year-olds, that have, you know, they're just the athletes, they're going to be pretty darn tired you're going to see the two-and-a-half-year-olds still moving good, some of the three-and-a-half-year-olds, but fours and fives and up. Those deer that are their dominant deer, they're, they're tired, and they're not going to do any hard rutting unless they absolutely know a doe is an estrus. All right, Mark. Well, that's some great information, and good luck on the rest of your season. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, sir. All right, and joining me on the line last is Bill Winky, the owner of Midwest Whitetails. Now, Bill, you have had an outstanding season thus far, tagging two incredible bucks, but I know you're still on the hunt for some does. In Iowa there, what would you say the buck activity has been on a scale of 1 to 10 lately? So during the past week, uh, I think it it, it really starts ramping down um, during the week that we're in. So, you know, four or five days ago, I might have said it was a a 6, and now I might say that it's a a 3 or a 4, you know, working its way downward just because of the distance we are from the the uh, breeding cycle. Uh, the, you just get that trailing off effect where you've got a few does that are still in estrus, and then they start to get mopped up, and then pretty soon, you know, there's really not much left um, to, to get those bucks on their feet. So uh, my thinking is usually around the 26th of November is more or less when uh, the primary rut starts to shut down to the point where, you know, I don't hunt mornings typically after about the 26th of November because the amount of daylight movement in the morning is, is pretty low among bucks. Um, there's, there's always exceptions, of course. Individual deer can behave differently, and you can have, you know, certain population dynamics uh, where you've got maybe a, a higher number of does in a certain area where maybe you're going to pick up a few more of them, you know, a few more bucks on their feet, you know, trying to find that last doe. But, you know, on average, the 26th of November is kind of the, the closing date, uh, in, in my mind, for normal rutting activity. Do you think that the buck movement in general uh, has declined or just the daylight movement? I think there, in bucks, I think the bulk movement in general has declined. Um, but overall, if you're looking for deer, I think the amount of deer movement is actually up now uh, because the does kind of hide during the, the uh, peak of the breeding uh, portion of the rut they just get pestered so much they just don't really come out in the open very much like they do you know at other times of the season so i'm seeing a lot more does now tons of does and then the odd buck still poking around but uh it's not you know it's it's not anything like what you, you would have seen even just a week ago so you alluded, alluded to evening sits there um, if you were hunting an evening still trying to get a buck on the ground would you be more focused on their bedding or does right now or looking for a food source? I've, I've had pretty decent success at this time of the season um, in the past, and I was always hunting on food. This year, I don't have a buck tag left. We saw a pretty nice buck last night while we were doe hunting. Uh, you know, So there was some activity, and he wasn't really looking to eat. Uh, he came out. 
worked a couple scrapes, made one loop through the field, and then went right back into the timber again. So, you know, like I said, there's always going to be exceptions, but all the other bucks that we saw last night, which weren't a large number, a pretty pretty small number of bucks, they were all feeding. Uh, they weren't looking at the does at all. So that's, I would say that's sort of what you you get. You get the odd one that still acts like it's the rut, and then the rest of them are most interested in food. So with that in mind, you know, I'm almost 100% focused on food sources now. Uh, I think you can probably get by with a little bit of morning hunting yet if you if you're hardcore and you don't have anything else that you have to do, you know, you don't have any uh, other obligations that are going to keep you out of the field, then there's no reason not to hunt mornings. If you're going to do that, you might as well poke around those doe bedding areas for a little bit longer because you'll still get the odd buck, you know, that, that still does think it's the rut. But, you know, like I said, it's it's really starting to slow down fast, and the, the best show in town right now is going to be sitting on the food. Well, you just talked about scrapes there a little bit, and do you think that there's any – useful information you can get from deer sign right now like scrapes and rubs and do you think you'll find a lot of deer still hitting those i don't know i'm not really a big sign guy um i used to try that when i was early in my hunting education i tried to make sense out of all that stuff and, and i just got more and more confused and it led me down the wrong roads so i don't really pay much attention to it to be honest with you um i don't know what i would gain from sign at this point the only sign i think that's really relevant is stuff that you can identify um the one that made the sign you know i mean everybody thinks oh there's a big rub it had to have been made by a big buck i've just seen way too many year and a half old bucks polishing up big trees uh, you don't have to have a big buck to make a big rub uh, we've got telephone poles out here that are you know probably an inch or, or more you know in in circumference smaller uh, in the areas where the deer are rubbing on them. They've been rubbing on them that hard. And, uh, you know, you see everything, you know, on, on the planet that's rubbing on those things. And it's not just, you know, some, some kind of gigantic buck uh, that would take on a telephone pole. What about going forward then in this next week or so? What do you think the buck activity will be then on a scale of 1 to 10? I think it's going to start ramping back up again. Uh, unless you've got hunting pressure, uh, but it's going to be on the food and it's going to be on feeding patterns. And you have this period when the rut sort of lays down, when the bucks are, they're, they're wore out, they might be beat up, they might be even wounded and injured, you know, where they need to just lay down for, for a week or so and, and lick their wounds, and then they get back into the, the serious business of trying to, you know, put the, the fat back on again or, you know, put the weight back on again that they lost during the rut. So I would say that really starts going pretty pretty hard, you know, around the 1st of December or so. Uh, you really see that. I call it the flight to food, you know, where those bucks are really focused on eating. Uh, so as long as it's a little bit cold and the deer haven't been hunted real hard, you know, so that they're only nocturnal, you should actually see, see an improvement in the number of bucks, uh, but they'll be on primarily feeding patterns. All right, Bill. Well, good luck with the rest of your season getting some does down. And if you guys haven't seen it yet, go to MidwestWhitetail.com to see the two awesome deer that Bill harvested this year. And thanks for your time, Bill. I appreciate it. Thank you, Spencer. And that concludes the final episode of Wired Hunt's Rut Radio. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and follow Wired Hunt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Newharth. Thanks so much to everybody who provided reports this season and everybody who listened to the podcast. This would not have been possible without you. 
Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.